We've been in First uh, John. Last week, uh, we tried to answer a question. Um, what does it mean to know God? Uh, probably a question that animates, you know, a reason at core why every person's here. Everyone at some level wants to know God. And it, we, we listened to John. John, he gave us a, a, an outline. He said, you know, you, you obey uh, the commands. And, and we looked at what that meant. And, and the commands of God really are trust in the name of Jesus the Lord, Jesus Messiah. And what that means is, is trust, rely on Jesus' all-encompassing power, his lordship, his rule of our lives, of the cosmos. Trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, yes. But beyond that, trust in him for everything. That's the first part. And the second part uh, that John gave us of commandments was to love one another, love the saints. If you've been in the church any length of time, you know that that's very challenging because the saints are people and they don't always act like saints. If you've been in church any length of time, you know that trusting God's not easy because a lot of times it doesn't look like he knows what he's doing to us. And so that brings up a question. If knowing God really is trusting the Messiah, the King Jesus in all things to rule our lives, to rule the world, and if it's loving each other, then we as good Westerners have to ask the question, how? What do I got to do to do it? How? How can I get to know God? What is, it, what is it that I got to do to, to get to this place where I'm this person who can do these things and, and live this full and, and, and robust and, and, and exciting life that God has for me? Well, today we're going to answer that question. We're going we're gonna to listen to John um, again. And, and when we kind of get underneath a little bit of the logic of what he's saying, we're going to see his kind of plan, his way that human beings, what they got to do to get to know God. So let's, uh, let's read what, what, what John has to say. He says, In this we know that we have come to know him, if we obey his commands. And again, that's the you know, trust in the, in the lordship, the power of, of Christ, and love the saints. So anyone who says, I have come to know him, while disobeying those commands is a liar. The truth is not in such a one. But the one who obeys that word... Truly in such a person, the love of God has reached its goal. By this we know that we are in him. Now when we, we look at this, this I mean, it, it, it really does speak to a kind of a Western way of doing things. You know, at least in, in North America, we tend to be kind of people, when you've got a problem, you like roll up your sleeves, you go on YouTube, and you figure out exactly how to fix it. If I need to fix my refrigerator, I don't call anybody. First I go on YouTube. And I look for it, fix refrigerator. I click on some videos. Um, and then there's, there's going to be a person, he, he's bent over, and his pants don't fit quite right. Uh, but he shows me exactly how to fix my refrigerator. And so you look, I mean, just look at, look at the text here. Doesn't it have that feel of do stuff? I mean, you know, uh, obey his commands, it says. And the one who obeys his word, do some stuff. Get it done. Figure it out. And I look at that and I'm like, yes, okay, awesome. I'm just going to, okay, I just, what I need is a regimen. I need a, like a list of things that I can do so that I can be obeying these commands and, and, and really do know God. That's what I need. And I think that if I were to ask every person here, what must you do to know God, to, to be able to trust uh, Jesus in all things and to love the saints, you'd probably come up with some very, very good strategies to do this. And so I want to tell you that all of those strategies are totally wrong. 
Everything you thought you knew about knowing God is just completely off the reservation. And so I'd like to go through them. I'd like to, uh, you know, okay, I'm, obviously I don't fix refrigerators. Um, We have this great guy, Lou. He does it for us. Uh, He is awesome. He comes and fixes everything. But when I have a problem, though, I don't actually go to YouTube because that's going to require me to do stuff. When I have problems, something I don't understand, I study. That's like, that's the nerd response. It's like, oh, I have an issue. Let's read a book about it. And I love doing that. I love reading books. It's a lot of fun. It's my thing. Uh, I like to, it makes me feel like I have some command in the situation. And I bet if I asked us, if I asked every person here, if you needed to know God, what would be a way to do it? I bet every person here would be, well, through study. This is the first thing in your note sheets, through study. Like, if I want to know God, I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to begin studying about him. I'm going to try and figure out who God is and what he's like and what he's done. And I think that's the best way to get to know God. Do you, do you all know um, this guy? Does anyone recognize him? Nobody knows Bart? Yeah, Bart Ehrman. Well, if you do recognize him, it's because you like to watch those um, Discovery Channel shows where it's like, did Jesus really exist? Dun, dun, dun. And then they, and they interview like a whole bunch of scholars and experts. And one of the guys they like to interview is Bart, Bart Ehrman. He, I think he teaches in uh, North Carolina somewhere, uh, University of North Carolina, something like that. Um, and wow, Bart, what a guy. Um, if anybody has studied the Bible, it is Bart Ehrman. Uh, in fact, he has, he's written a billion books, you know, Lost Christianities, um, Jesus Interrupted, all these books. Um, if ever you read one of them and you're like, what? I don't even know what to do with this. Come talk to me. I'll, uh, I'll straighten you out. But Bart, my man, uh, grew up just like us, or just like me. He grew up in a conservative, like fundamentalist, you know, Christian church. And, and, and he was taught that the Bible is the word of God and it's the truth. And he believed it. And he said, if I want to know God, well, I know what I need to do. I need to start studying hard. And so he did. He went to um, uh, Moody, Moody Bible Institute. And then he went to Wheaton College. And then he went to Princeton Seminary. He went to all these schools. And at the end of it, he studied under Bruce Metzger, who's an amazing scholar at Princeton, uh, awesome guy. Throughout all of this, he's studying, and he's studying, and he's studying, because he wants to know God. And now he's an atheist. Yeah. When you watch him on these shows, he's going to get up there and be like, well, I don't know, Jesus might have existed, who knows? You know? And if he did, he was probably just a really nice guy. Uh, certain, certainly not the son of God, that's crazy. There is no God. Or he would say, uh, uh, there's probably no God. That's where Bart is these days. And, and, and what Bart did is he trusted in his mind. He trusted in his study, in his intellectual capacity. And he thought, if I just engage that fully, if I go all the way with that, I'll finally know God. And what he found is that the more you know, the less you know. The more you think you can apprehend and control with your mind, the less you actually have, and the more it starts to slip through your fingers. And now, this man knows nothing at all. But he makes a lot of money telling other people that they don't know anything either. It's interesting, uh, if you look in the scriptures, um, Ecclesiastes, you know, it's written, um, Solomon, who spent his whole life um, seeking wisdom, seeking knowledge, and he has this whole book about what life is like, and then at the very end, at the very end, this is the last thing he has to say, he says, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. They're good. The, the words of wisdom that we have from people, they're valuable. Let's follow them, Right? But be warned, my son, of anything in addition, 
of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies, exhausts the body. You've heard it all, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all. It's it's fascinating that even in scripture, God uh, enshrines for us a word of wisdom about trusting and study to get to know him. If that's what you think is going to accomplish the goal of, of, being know, uh, of knowing God face to face, you're looking in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not saying don't study your Bible. By all means, we're a Bible church. I grew up here. I fell in love with the Bible in this place, reading it and, and, and being you know, introduced to these incredible truths through it. I am all for it. But if you think, if you think that right now the way to get to know God is through study, you're wrong. I think, I think that what we've done is we've started to confuse the effect for the cause. Uh, there's um, a lot of people worry about the, uh, the rap music. You've heard of the, the rap music. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, a lot of gangster rap started coming out, um, became sort of middle America was introduced to it for the first time. Middle America was like, whoa, uh, there's a whole lot of violence, a whole lot of sex, a whole lot of drugs in here. This is bad stuff. And then middle America said this. They said, they started to look at urban communities, poor urban communities, and said, wow, there's a lot of violence and drugs and sex in those communities. I wonder if the reason for that is that people are listening to this rap music. And so what we need to do is we need to ban this rap music, and then we can solve all the problems of drugs and violence and sex. Now, I don't want to say that we should all be listening to gangster rap music. I mean, I don't know. Some of that Snoop, he's all right. Um, But... But I do want to say this. I don't think that if you banned all the rap music that you would stop the problems of drug, sex, and violence in the inner cities. In fact, I, I think that if you thought that, if you think that that's how you're going to solve social problems, you're crazy. You're nuts. Because I think that those problems are, 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 they're, they're the cause, and then the, the music follows. People experience, they grow up in this environment, they, they're constantly confronted by violence and, and, and drugs, and so that's the, that's the, the, the material out of which they begin to express themselves. Is it good? Ah, gosh, probably not. But, but boy, it's certainly not the cause. It's the effect. Or at least it's part of the effect. And yes, I know, I mean, we probably shouldn't be filling our eyes and ears with things that are naughty. Um, but let's not suppose for a second that if you want to fix all the problems of the inner city, that all you've got to do is change the music they listen to. Likewise, I think that study is really an effect of knowing God. It's not the cause. It's not how we get to know God. It's something that happens once we've gotten to know God. There's another thing that we think, we think, is going to get us to know God and... Again, I think it's an effect, not a cause. We, we think that we're going to get to know God through service, through good works. Through service and good works. Got another picture up here. There he is. You notice a lot of my pictures are black and white and everyone has an awesome beard? I don't know what it is. It's true. I mean, I get Nietzsche up there, awesome. You know, this is Walter Rauschenbusch. Uh, he was a Baptist minister uh, from the early uh, 20th century, uh, known as the father of the social gospel. Walter was a a Baptist minister in uh, Hell's Kitchen. And boy, if anyone was confronted with social ills, it was this guy. And what he thought is he was like, you know what the problem here is? The problem is I'm sitting up here preaching every Sunday about, you know, the cross and the resurrection and theology and justification and blah, 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 blah. What I'm not doing is I'm not getting my hands dirty and fixing these people's lives. And if you're not doing that, you're wrong too. You don't know God. If you want to know God... 
then you need to get your hands dirty and do his work. Um, a couple of years ago, we have uh, one of our um, students that was in high school here, um, Michael, uh, Michael Bacon. He uh, went to seminary, uh, he's at seminary at Fuller, went to Princeton for his undergrad. I remember a couple of years ago, I was talking to him about his experience of Christianity of faith. And he, he told me, he's like, well, I grew up in Coast, you know, and uh, I just felt like, I don't know, I was studying a lot, but I didn't feel like I was getting to know God. And he's like, and it all changed for me one week when I went to Camp Allendale. If you're familiar with Camp Allendale, Camp Allendale is, um, it started from a couple in our church in the late 70s, early 80s, Robin and Karen Wood. They, um, at the time, they were living in Newport, uh, driving Porsches. Um, I, last time I used the word Porsche, I said Porsche and not Porsche. And one of you came up and was like, the sermon was ruined because it's pronounced Porsche. It's like, okay, got it. They were driving Porsches. They were living the life and they were miserable. They hated their lives. They came to Christ through this church. God called them to start Camp Allendale. They went, they started a, a, a camp uh, for abused and neglected children in Orange County. Kids who are in the foster care system. Kids who have no hope, who have been hurt in ways that we can't imagine. They came and they shared the gospel with these kids. They changed lives. Michael Bacon, who was not moved by any of the study, went up for one week in high school. And, and, and Christ came alive to him. He experienced firsthand the power of God to transform and change. And he would say at that point, he really started to get to know God. So that's what we should do, right? That's the secret. The secret to getting to know God is doing stuff. I'm going to argue in a second that Michael's experience um, was not doing stuff. It was something else. But, but that's what we might, we might conclude. The, the, the key is service. It's good works. If we do good works, then we'll get to know God. Jesus... Um, disagrees. In Matthew five fourteen to 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Well, what is this light? Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Light is the good deeds. We're supposed to let them have... Yeah, we should be doing good work. Should be, we should be doing service so that we can come to know God. Nope. What's the logic? The logic is we do good deeds and if anyone's coming to know God, it's other people who see it. It's not us. In fact, again, I think that the idea that we're going to do God's work and participate in his work, that's somehow going to get us to know him. I think, again, that's an effect that we sometimes mistake as a cause. I have a friend... Um, he uh, works in L.A. He works, um, he's an atheist. He works uh, with children who are in the foster care system in, in, in L.A. He loves them. He's a sweet guy. In fact, I would say that he does God's work for these kids. What he does for them is something that helps and, and encourages them and, and, and changes their lives. I think he does good work. I think it's God's work. What's funny is he's done this for years, and every year he's done it, he's become more bitter more angry, farther from the God that we confess. Died on the cross for our sins, rose victorious the third day, and invites us all to eternal life. If, if doing the right things, if doing good work got us to know God, then my friend would be the most intense, passionate, evangelical Christian you could ever meet, and he's not. He's as far from that as you can possibly be. 
In fact, I, I had that picture of Walter Rauschenbusch, the father of the social gospel. He um, joins Christianity to the progressive movement in the early 20th century. Progressives, we talk about progressives now. Their intellectual forebears were Walter's friends in the 20th century. If you know a lot of progressives, you know that they can be some of the most secular, some of those far-from-God people that exist. And yet they're out for justice to do the things that we would presumably think that in a lot of cases God wants done. It's an effect, good works. Once you come to know God, there is a, there can, it's very natural for a lot of people like the woods to, to want to serve him and do nice things for him. But it's not how we know him. If we remember that know, again, means trust Jesus in all things and love the saints, doing good works is not the key. Service is not the key. The last one that I think um, is particularly powerful now, um, especially in the wake of charismatic and, and, and Pentecostal Christianity, is that people believe that we get to know God through worship. Through worship. If I want to get to know God, I need to have an experience with him somewhere where I, I'm, I'm very close in some kind of emotional type of experience. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just through honoring him and praising him as he ought to be praised and honored. If we do that, we'll start to get to know God. We'll start to get to trust Christ in all things. We'll start to get to love the saints if we have this experience with him, directly with him. Like these people. These are our Muslim friends. They do this five times a day. Do they know God? Are they insincere? Would we say that they have encountered the living triune God who gives himself to the world? Or is they doing something else? I submit to you that if worship were the key to us knowing God, then our Muslim friends would be Christians. Listen uh, to Psalm 145. And really, I mean, you can almost take any psalm at random and you will get the same logic Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Praise, 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 worship, worship, worship. Surely if anyone is going to know God through worship, it is David singing this psalm. And then he says this, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. The worship is a response to what has been told to David. Of what God has done in the past. uh, Celebrating the liberation of, of a people from captivity. Showing God's faithfulness. And as a result, we respond in praise, in worship. It is an effect of those who know God. It is not the cause of those who know God. Let's get back to John for a second. We want to know how we can come to know God. And this is what he says. In this we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So anyone who says, I have come to know him while disobeying his commands is a liar. The truth is not in such a one. But the one who obeys his word, truly in such a person, the love of God has reached its goal. Do you notice uh, when we, we're like, okay, what do I got to do? I got to study. I got to work. I got to worship. All stuff that we do. 
All stuff that we have power over, control over. Who's doing the work here? Truly, in such a person, God's love for us has reached its goal. It's not Tom studying really hard. It's not Doug singing his heart out. It's God's love that reaches its goal. That word, uh, if you're familiar with the New King James, uh, you probably recognize um, New King James, the, the love of God has been made perfect. You hear that? Um, that the, it's, no, uh, the Greek there is teleo. It's uh, the verbal form from the word we get tel- telos. Telos really is just a goal. It's the standard Greek word for a goal. And, and th- that verb is the standard Greek verb for achieving your goal, reaching your goal, getting to the place you were trying to get to. When uh, fulfilled or made perfect, that's typically plerao. It's a different word. Um, I strongly disagree with the tra- uh, classic translations. In fact, in fact, most modern translations do something more similar to what I'm doing here because it, they're trying to bring out the fact that God's love has a purpose. God's lo- God showers his love on us and things happen. They transform. I think it's incredibly important we very clearly get the relationship between God's loving acts towards us and, and the way that we're changed and how this causes us to come to know God. And since my dad is still passing his kidney stone, I can take another shot at him this week. <laughs> I hope he's not doing, watching the live stream. He's like, oh. Uh, some of you know that uh, my dad had, um, well, he had hopes that I would become a baseball player. <laughs> what a card, right? I guess, um, you know, trying to fulfill your, your dreams uh, in your children, that kind of thing. Uh, there's, what is that called? There's a, where you can't do it. Vicarious enjoyment, yeah. That, yeah. He was vicariously trying to live out his own dreams through me. An imperfect and broken vessel, no doubt. Um, I remember... <laughs> I remember um, one time we were playing catch because uh, he was training me, and um, he kind of whipped it at me, and I put my glove up, and the next thing I remember is like looking around and being like, "Oh, wow, my, I'm bleeding. That's cool. What happened?" And then there was like I looked in the mirror, and there was like a little like stitching imprint on my upper lip uh, from where the ball had smacked me. So the thing is, though, I'm a smart guy, and I figured out um, if a ball is coming at you and you're playing baseball, in order to catch it. Well, you move out of the way, and then, like that. It's, it's, it works. Here's the thing. It doesn't always work to catch the ball, but it always works to avoid the ball. 100% effective. I'm a sharp guy. Uh, so, the, the, you know, you hit the fly ball, and it's like this. Do one of these. Ah, yeah, right. Not this. That's very dangerous, very dangerous. A lot of bad things can happen. Well, my dad, he, uh, he wanted to train me. He wanted me to become a great baseball player, so... He, uh, he invented what's called the pizza fly. This is, uh, at the end of our practice, he would just really chuck it, really wing it, and sometimes even just smack it, like hit it, as high as he could, like, you know, so you can't even see it, you, like, lose it in the sky, then you have to catch it, you know, reacquire the, the target as it's coming down. And the deal was, if I could catch the pizza, pizza fly, you know, with good form, then we would go and we would get pizza. We'd go to Emilio's, um, He'd get me a pizza. They had a they had a um, a double dragon arcade there. If you guys don't know double dragon and you haven't lived, that game is phenomenal. Um, and so I, it was like a big deal to me. The pizza fly was like the it was the the crowning achievement in 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 in, in my in my life. And so I would I would take the risk. <laughs> like okay, I'm, this might kill me, but by golly, the pepperoni! Oh my goodness! So and then I start to catch it. 
I'm not going to bore you with the uh, story of how I won the uh, World Series for the, um, by catching the ball and then throwing a guy out at home. That's, that's boring, but it's part of my life. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the reason that happened, the reason that happened is because I was trained uh, with the pizza fly. My dad, um, you know, Jesus says, do your fathers want to give you, like, you know, stones or scorpions for gifts? No, no. Your, your, your fathers want to give you good things, right? And my dad wanted to give me pizza, and he wanted to give me double dragon. And so he furnished these blessings on me, and he said, if you just do it, if you do it, you can get this thing. And I was like, oh, boy, this seems like a bad idea, but okay. And I caught it, and I kept catching it, and I caught it over and over again. Suddenly, my confidence was building um, Suddenly, I'm feeling like I can do this. I, I, I've got it, right? And, and suddenly, I start to realize I can trust myself. And, and more importantly, I can trust my dad. He, he gave me the pizza fly. He gave me the pizza and the, and the thing. And, and, and he said, trust me. Trust me. And I started to, to trust him because it was working. It was happening. I wasn't you know, ending up bleeding. With, I, it was okay. It was good. And then over time, I also, of course, began to love him more because you love the one who gives you pizza. Unavoidable. So I began to trust and love him more because his act of love came to me first. Similarly, God approaches us. The first time we encounter him is through what? The gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the message that you have been forgiven. That you are terrible. But God is going to fix you anyway. That God is not going to withhold anything from you. He loves you so much. He has given his son. He has given you the ultimate gift to free you. To make you whole. And that transforms you. You're like, wow, okay, I'm going to trust this God a little bit. That's cool. I like that. You begin to trust him. And, and, and remember, who, who, it's not like a voice came from the sky. Occasionally that happens. But for the most part, most of us encounter the gospel when what? A member of the church gives it to us. Right? A Christian comes. It's mediated through the church, typically. Someone we know and trust tells us the story of Jesus. And so not only do we begin to trust God, we begin to love that person. We begin to be a part of their life. And in, usually involved in their church, Im embedded in their community. And so there's this act of love that God does, and we receive it, we simply recognize it, and suddenly we begin to trust him. And then we begin to love his people. And this continues. You see, we start to live this way. Start to live this way. We start to, we start to engage in, in a way where, where everything in our life, we submit before God. We submit to Jesus. Jesus, I, I think you're in control. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to trust you. And things work out. We're in danger. We're in, we're in situations of trial and trouble. And we say, Lord, I'm going to put this in your hands, and I'm going to ask you to do something for me. And then he does. And he does it in surprising, weird ways through his people. And every time this happens, we begin to trust him a little more and say, okay, maybe you really are the boss. Maybe you really are the king, Jesus. And, and maybe your people really do love me, and we begin to love them more. Every time this happens in our life, these acts of love that God showers on us, we experience them, and we come to trust him more and love his people more. When I was in college, at this point I'd come to trust and love my parents much easier when you're away. Um, I came and, and, I, and I lived uh, with them for the summer, and they took me to the dentist. Terrible. Hate that place, never going back. Um, apparently, dentistry is important. 
uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm just going to risk it and see what happens. Um, but at the time, I went and... Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. At the time, I went and, uh, and the, the dentist did some x-rays and said, oh yeah, you got these wisdom teeth. They got to come out. I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. That's cool. So my parents tell me, like, yeah, Tom, we're going to have to get those wisdom teeth out. All right? Um, and uh, so what's going to happen? You're going to go in, and they're going to give you some shots of Novocaine. It's going to numb you up, and they're going to take them out. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to love it. It's going to be great, real good experience. I was like, wait, so they're going to, couldn't I just be asleep for that? Um, do we really need to do Novocaine? And they're like, oh, you know, we would, but we're paying for college. So why don't you just stay awake during that? Oh, okay, okay, sure, why not? I mean, how hard could it be, right? Just the, at the, the moment when I realized something was wrong was when the, um, the guy, had, he had a drill, which I kind of expected, but then he had a faceplate and he put it down like he was welding, right? I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what are you being protected from? Oh, I know, the blood and, and flex, flecking. I remember it clear as day. <laughs> watching pieces of my jaw like splatter onto his face mask and being like, you know, I think I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I think now's the time. He's like, he's like, you with me? You with me? I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, I'm with you. And at the moment, at the moment, I was sitting there, I was like, you know, I just don't know if my parents really love me. Uh, I'm just not sure that this, this is an act of love from them. I would, like to t- I would like to tell you that I, in that moment, I like, you know, my faith in my parents came back. No, it was later um, when I was on the couch uh, and I had two ice packs and I was under the influence of some very powerful drugs and I was watching um, Fantasia 2000. So like Donald Duck is like, he's like dancing with pink hippos and I'm like, my parents do love me. This is great. True fact though, true fact. If you don't get your wisdom teeth out, they can kill you actually. Even if they don't kill you, they can cause an incredible amount of pain. You can get these terrible infections. They can wreck your jaw. You can even have your jaw removed, some people, who don't get, um, who don't get the right treatment. And so even though it hurts in that moment, even though you're not sure what's going on, when you're able to reflect and step back, you realize that was a really good thing they did. Some of you right now um, come here and you are in the chair and the blood is being flecked onto somebody's faceplate. And you're wondering, really God, do you love me? I don't want you to get it twisted. I, I don't want you to think that God's like authoring terrible things that happen in the world. That's not the case. God is a good God, but he does allow bad things to happen. And anyone who's honest can, can acknowledge that. If God's there, he's definitely letting some bad stuff take place. And yet, and yet, if we're the kind of people who have been enjoying his blessings and recognizing them as his blessings and walking with him, then even when we're in the chair and the blood's flecking, we might be able to say, even in the midst of this crucible, this crisis, that God is being faithful in some way, that he is being loving in some way. I can't see it, I don't understand it, but maybe that's real, maybe that's true. And what we have to do is nothing except keep believing and wait for somebody, probably a member of the church, to come and mediate God's act of love and help 
and, and succor and encouragement and, and hope to us. I submit that almost every person here has experienced in one time or another where you have been in crisis and God has bailed you out, usually through his people. And in that, you grew a little bit in your trust of Jesus' lordship and your love for the church. If you're wondering what you're supposed to do, how you can come to know God, the the list of things that you need to check off, the regimen you need to engage in so that you can start to really know God, the the books you have to read and the good works you have to accomplish and the worship you have to sing and, and the prayers you have to pray. No. The only way you begin to come to know God is you receive his gracious acts of love to you as gracious acts of love. You simply recognize that God's love is being mediated to you and that even if it doesn't look like it, even if it, you know, you, you, it could be something else, you believe, you trust. This is, in fact, God loving me just as he loved me first in the gospel and as he has continued to bless and love me as I walk through my life. This, brothers and sisters, is how you go from being someone who does not know God to the kind of person who can say something like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Because you've experienced it, you've lived it, you've recognized it. You haven't done a thing, you haven't lifted a finger for it. It's just been handed to you by the people in the church. And that is how you come to know him. But, you know, we're North, North Americans, Westerners. We've got to have a takeaway. You know, I get these, these, uh, these surveys, the reviews of my sermons. Y'all, you're like, what? Do something practical. I need to go home with something practical. All right, fine. Here's what you got to do. If you're the type of person who right now is in the middle of a living hell, and there are some of you, I I can't tell you what it is. Um, I can only tell you that it exists, and you know it. It's very personal to you. It's it's real to you. This experience, this existence you're going through is challenging in ways that you could never have believed. Your mission this week is to say, I'm going to try and find God's act of love to me in the middle of this. I am going to try to recognize it. This is going to be really hard because you're going to look at it and you'll be like, oh, all I see is the blood being flecked on the face mask. Not good, not good. But it actually could be something good. And it's up to you to recognize it. And say, you know what, God? You are mediating grace to me. You are giving me love in the middle of this. And I, I wasn't able to see it. You are changing me and transforming me. You are a part of this. You are walking with me. You are still here. And you have good things for me. I believe that. If everything's going swimmingly for you, you're like, like Aaron and I. I mean, it's like, it's just one, every day is better than the last. It's just pure joy. No, I'm just, I, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but mostly it's true. I'm, seriously, thanks for everyone who came out to the, uh, the parsonage last week. I mean, you can see what an incredible gift you've given us, and we, we, are, we are grateful. If you're the person who, where things are well, stop assuming that's because of the stuff that you did. Stop assuming that it's just luck or it's just hard work. Instead, recognize that this, too, is the gift of God. One thing in your life, one thing that is totally excellent, find, think, recognize the way that that was God's act of love to you. And last, and probably in some cases most importantly, 
If you have come to know God, you are the kind of person in whom God's love has reached its goal. It is, it, you do trust Christ in all things. You really do love the people of the church. You have become that. It has happened in your life. Well, then I, I say to you, look around. Look around and do exactly what Jesus told us to do and let your light shine that others may glorify him. Go and find one person who desperately needs the act of love from God and be that to them. Mediate that to them because there are people in your life, there are people around you who are really having a tough time. I know, they often call me. Please, please look and find the one who really does need you who really does need an extra measure of, of encouragement, of money, of supplies, of whatever it is, but be the act of love to that person. In so doing, you will cause them to know God. You will be a part of God's action, his kingdom, his power, his glory. It will be something that does not fade for all time. And you can do it. You can be a part of it if in prayerful, spirit-led recognition of what God would have you do. Be the pizza fly. Take out the wisdom teeth. Friends, this isn't all just being nice and cuddly. Sometimes the act of love that you have to give to someone in your life is a tough one. Nice is not the same thing as loving. Loving sometimes hurts, but you will be faithful to them if you do the hard work and mediate God's love to them. If you want to know how you can come to know God, that's it. You walk through life and you recognize his acts of love to you. And you recognize they come from the people of his church and you love them deeply in response. And that's it. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we confess that you are good, that you do give egregious, gracious acts of love constantly in our lives, that you begin by saving us through faith in your Son, that you continue by showering blessings on us, by bailing us out, by protecting us, and sometimes by allowing us to hurt. Sometimes by mediating hard things that we don't want to hear. But always in acts of gracious love. God, give us eyes to see, eyes of faith to recognize your action, your work in our lives. To recognize your love as, as strange and wild as it may appear. And God, make us your acts of love to others. That they will see our good works and glorify you in heaven. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.